This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the way to a motherfucker like KTP's remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Well, I'm here. I'm cute as shit. Oh, whoa, whoa, skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. You nigga naked in the shower with your clothes on. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Can you dig it? Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Hello, 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 hello. Welcome. Welcome to the first official episode. This is very exciting. The first official, official, official episode of the Do Not Listen to This Podcast. I am your host, Sam LaCrosse. Thank you for joining today. Um, it was a great experience having you the first time. I learned a lot of stuff. I learned a lot of stuff I should not do when on a podcast. I bought microphones actually for this thing. So now I'm learning to use the microphones. I use them wrong probably much more than I use them correctly. I had to retape that first one actually a couple times in a row. And that was a massive pain in my ass. So hopefully that does not happen again while recording this one. So Last week was just kind of like an intro about kind of what the podcast is going to be about, kind of everything going about in terms of how we want to move forward into this year. And it's been, we're, we're what, what the fuck is this? We are now, uh, I'm recording this on the 10th, so we are now 10 days into the new year and it's already been a wild one. We are on some supreme wild boy hours in 2021 already and we will get into all of that. But first, we are going to look back on where we came from. So we're going to do one more. So... I should, I should preface it with this. So I wrote a lot about 2020 in my blog. Don't read this blog.com. Shameless plug because you're on a shamelessly plug podcast. So anyway, but I started the blog in early 2020. I think it was the 3rd of January. I wrote my first post. I remember I actually wrote a post on this too, but um, there was not a better year for me to write start an internet blog because a lot of shit happened in 2020 that was really, really not good and kind of just in the middle of a lot of different things that were going on in every possible sector you can imagine. So it, I had a lot of material to write about. I was lucky from that standpoint. I wasn't lucky necessarily from all the things that happened in 2020, but it was a good year for me to kind of start the blog, and it was a kind of a good for what its purpose was. So, But we don't want to dwell on the past. We don't want to dwell on the past. So we're going to do one post on 2020. We're going to do one more on 2020 as we move into 2021, and then we're going to stab it in the fucking jugular vein with a dull spoon. Deal? You, 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 yeah, no one can hear me, but I'm just going to say deal to myself. We're going to move on. Okay, so hello, everyone, and welcome to 2021 and the next phase of this blog, this podcast, your life, and our society as Americans. Well, I mean, at least in the form of a calendar year, like I said earlier. I mean, we're not really that much farther along in terms of, in terms of everything else that's going on. But anyways, so 10 days ago, as we rang in the new calendar year watching a bizarre Temple of Doom-esque planet planet fitness ritual with Anderson Cooper and the ghost of Dick Clark. That was fucking scary. I don't know if you guys 
watch that stuff. I was very, very confused. I wasn't even like, I wasn't even, you know, I was drinking that night, but I wasn't drunk. And I was realizing that I wasn't drunk watching the, the planet fitness inflatable tube men and dancers. It was, it was very bizarre in, in my opinion. So, but in that time we were, there was an opportunity to reflect on what a shit bag of a year 2020 was. There were riots, there was looting, there were peaceful protests. Two weird old guys ran for president. Every single American made an ass out of themselves at least once, and probably more than once. A mysterious beer virus from overseas kicked the entire world in the dick and or vagina. A cable news official beat his man tenderloin on a Zoom call in front of his impressionable younger constituents. Shout out Jeff Jeffrey Tubin. Nightly news and talk shows somehow got worse. A lot of people died, far more than originally projected, which is sad, and are still dying, only to be hopefully be stymied by a bunch of miracles of modern science called vaccines. So this is a lot to take in, and understandably so. But for this podcast, we're not going to be talking about 2020, like I said before, at least directly. So as I said, you and I are all sick of it by this point. I don't want to talk about any of the bad shit for longer anymore. I just want to be done with it, like all of you. So like the exhaustion of our political climate in the past couple years, among other things, I just want to be done with it. Now, more than ever, is the time to look forward to new things. Better things. Things that can make us all more optimistic instead of dragging us down into the mire of pessimism that 2020 served as a microcosm of. So, in this podcast, we are not going to be reflecting on how much of a shitbag of a year 2020 was. Instead, we're going to be reflecting on reflection. As new people go into anything, whether that's a new year, or a new car, or a new casual sex partner, whatever, they like to set goals based on what happened previously. This is the right approach. Your parents might have told you this, and a lot of other people, including professors, teachers, whoever else. In order to course correct to provide a better future for ourselves, we must first drill down into the past to see what went wrong. The problem is that we as humans are pretty fucking awful at doing this. But throughout the process of soaking in the last 12 months of our lives, one man had the courage to step up. One man had the courage to take a massive shit all over the massive shit that 2020 turned out to be. A man who, for once, in a year of se full of seemingly endless deceit and lies, told the truth. And that man's name is Andrew Schultz. Exactly two weeks before he rang into the, into the new year, Schultz dropped his much-anticipated debut Netflix comedy special, Schultz Saves America. Coming up by his bootstraps throughout the bowels of YouTube, Schultz has made a career off of pushing the envelope. In a tribute to his idol, the late and great Patrice O'Neill, Schultz has nearly perfected the art of insult comedy in an era where insult comedy is needed more than it potentially ever has before. And I often think about how incredible Patrice was in this era. If you, if you don't know who Patrice O'Neill is, you need to look him up on YouTube immediately. The guy was absolutely fucking hysterical. I mean, he was so fun. Like, even the stories about him, like, just when people talk about Patrice, it's just, it's always so funny. Kevin Hart has a great clip with Joe Rogan on there. Uh, Bill Burr has several. Bill Burr was one of his... Uh, one of his really good friends, they came up together in the comedy scene in Boston. So um, if you guys want a great comic to look to, to you know, give you, alleviate some pain you potentially might be feeling, Patrice is a great area to start. So Schultz is, back to Andrew Schultz. Schultz's latest target, much like the legendary Bill Burr and Dave Chappelle, was the modern insanity going on in America. He talks about it frequently on his podcast, The Brilliant Idiots, which he co-hosts with Charlemagne the God, and Flagrant 2, which he co-hosts with Akash Singh, among all the other people on his team. But there was a problem. Stand-up comedy isn't a thing during the era of the beer virus, particularly in New York, where nothing of the sort is even close to open. So Schultz, like many comics, faced a choice. He could hunker down to his podcast, write new material, pack it in until the beer virus blew over. Or 
he could do the alternative. He could dare to write the most audacious and provocative modern comedy that has only been rivaled by the aforementioned Burr and Chappelle. He could then package that material into a format that has never been attempted and do a deal with a company that he had dissed on the Joe Rogan experience in very viral fashion. He could rock the boat of America that was already teetering on sinking in hopes to potentially right the ship and bring some sanity back to our country. Schultz chose the latter. Schultz and his team, consisting of close friends such as Alex Media and Mark Agnon, immediately went to work. Schultz, leveraging his already massive YouTube audience, began to post five-ish minute rants on topics, ranging from the protests going on in urban America to cancel culture. Little did the rest of us know that these were, they were only fine-tuning their final experiment, tweaking it here and there while working up to 100-hour work weeks behind the scenes until they developed the finished product. That final product was revealed to the world 10 days before the premiere of Schultz Saves America in the form of a 30-second Instagram video posted by Schultz. The final line given in that video, it's time for some payback. The trailer revealed the structure of the special, which did not fit feature a typical hour-ish of stand-up material in front of a crowd. Instead, the special was to be divided in four 15-minute episodes, each centering on a different topic, the four Ps. Pandemics, predators, protests, and presidents. Schultz extended his rants to fill these segments that were strictly on those subjects, making sure to pack every joke he possibly could into the special. In his team's estimates, they put the final tally at the thousands. They said that you could watch the special ten times and not even come close to understanding all of it. The final product was beautifully brutal. Schultz took no prisoners. He dropped a bomb on everyone you could possibly imagine. Now, if you thought... If, you've, if you know the comedy of Bill Burr and Dave Chappelle, if you thought Paper Tiger and Sticks and Stones were bad, this was much worse. It was much worse. It was like Ricky Gervais's Golden Globes ran on HGH, steroids, and Walter White, Brian, crystal meth all at once. It was absolutely phenomenal. I couldn't pick my mouth up off the floor. It was simply too much too soon, and my head hurt literally for an hour after watching it. I just couldn't process the whole thing. Schultz called Gavin Newsom an inflatable fuck doll, Lauren Ingram, Lauren, Laura Ingram a spray tan Tom Petty, Sean Hannity a thumb, AOC a Starbucks brand colossal cup communist, President Trump about 50 other things, and President-elect Joe Biden about 50 more. He made a graphic of a Chinese assembly line with COVID-19, SARS, MERS, and TikTok on it, ready to be unleashed upon the world. Shortly before that, he called COVID the Wuhanic plague. He called the two women who run Black Lives Matter open Marxist. He accused Andrew Cuomo of murdering tens of thousands of senior citizens. He called Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, Midwestern Maleficent. He somehow was able to drop the line, toilet paper flew off the shelves faster than gushers on Epstein's Island in the special and not get assassinated by a ruling class. And that wasn't even in the first five minutes. After the world recovered from the collective sucker punch, the reviews started pouring in. The Daily Mail called Schultz every istinism in the book. So did both sides of the mob and a good portion of America's media and ruling class. But overall, the reviews were overwhelmingly positive. Both sides of the political aisle, that are sane, absolutely loved it. There was no gender or race that Schultz spared from his wrath. He was incredibly fair in who he went after and why. The people that he poured gasoline on, and the, poor, the people that he poured gasoline on probably, in some way or another, deserved it. As for me personally, I left the most outrageous comedic roastery I've ever seen in my life feeling something that I didn't think I would feel. Hopeful. Andrew Schultz doesn't hate anybody. I'd highly question if somebody thinks he does. What Schultz did was simply point out the obvious. 2020 sucked, and it sucked major ass. 
And in order to get people to be hopeful, to feel better, he decided to make an irreverent mockery out of it. And it was fucking brilliant. A lot of people will see both the past and their past as a bad thing. They will constantly reinvent it in their own minds to avoid going back to not that. And in their defense, why would they? No one wants to go back to not that. Would you want to relive 2020 again? I would take issue with anyone saying they would. I sure as hell wouldn't. But here lies the dichotomy. If we do not go back to the horrors of our past, how can we make the future better? The answer is we can't. A country with no future, a country has no future without a past. If we conveniently choose to forget ours, then the future will be nothing more than a minefield of our same fuck-ups that dicked us over in the first place. It's simply counterintuitive to think otherwise. It's not a feasible way of going about any solution. The other side of the dichotomy, however, can be equally as destructive. If we see our past as too damning, we cannot hope to make it better simply because we already think it is already worse. We have to discuss the alternatives as well. We should not be so critical that we permanently damn people, but yet not so lackadaisical that we shove heinous acts under the rug. Unfortunately, depending on what side of the issues you already take, not a lot of us do this. I fail to do it quite often. Staring at things with an objective eye is hard, particularly when the majority of sources we get our news from are focused on the exact opposite of doing just this. See, social media companies. Through social media renegades such as Tristan Harris, one of the leaders for the Center of Humane Technology, and Justin Rosenstein, the inventor of the Facebook like button, we've learned just how invasive to our consciousness these tools can be should we let them penetrate far enough. Watch The Social Dilemma if you need more evidence on this. They're both in it. Remaining objective about seeing anything was perhaps the biggest collective vice of 2020. We were nothing short of putrid in the way we interacted with one another. We called each other names. We called for people to be blacklisted or deplatformed or, de or disqualified or even fired. In some cases, we even physically assaulted one another. That's, way, that's no way to provide coexistence or unity, as some people say, and falsely claim propagated with one another. And newsflash. This isn't going to stop with a new president or a new piece of climate change legislation or a new beer virus vaccine. The specter of 2020, much like Karl Marx's communism, will loom for a very long time. A lot of people are optimistic about 2021. They think a light switch will turn on and everything will be normal. That we'll see rainbows and sunshines and unicorns shitting out sunflowers, cupcakes, and vibrators simultaneously. And all in the world will be well again. I am not one of those people. However... I'm not one of those people on the other side either. Those that say we're going to a quote-unquote dark winter and that we'll be wearing masks until 2022 at the minimum and we'll never touch another human being older than 65 again for another 15 years. Not necessarily. Like most things, I try, I really do try, to, to stay neutral and navigate the middle to stick in both sides of the situation. The right approach, the right attitude we need to take as we go into 2021, is the same approach and attitude that Andrew Schultz and I alluded to earlier that of balance. No one has left 2020 without some sort of scar. Most likely you all have multiple and are highly dependent and varying around your own means of identity and values. That's a highly difficult subject to tackle, but I'm going to try to do my best anyway. Like I've always said, this is my blog and my fucking podcast. I do what I want to do. I talk a lot about the failure of people who run from negativity. It's the wrong approach, as you all should know if you have talked to me about anything related to this material, or have likewise listened to or read any of the material that I've put out on this subject. Using negativity to fuel you and your future is a necessity for the improvement of that future. This is not making the bad things good, that's just mindless positivity. Don't read this blog.com if you want to read more about that. 
This is simply about using the point as a point the bad as a point of reference and perspective to make the potential good of the future better. That is a massive difference and one that should not be taken lightly. Bad things were plenty in 2020, as I mentioned previously. What a lot of people do like to do is succumb to our natural negativity bias, which is what we what we like to polarize toward the negative and dwell on it. This has been a good thing traditionally in terms of evolution. Don't touch the stove that burns you. It will burn you again. Don't go up to the beautiful woman with a Superman-esque laser beam staring right at her tits. She'll slap you. Don't try to kill and eat the tiger with the fucking two feet long teeth. He disemboweled your brother and split your chief's head in two last week. Our negativity bias prevented us from harm, but it can also prevent us from growth. Just because you shouldn't touch a hot stove, approach a beautiful woman with that fuckboyish of an attitude, or spear a saber-toothed tiger doesn't mean you shouldn't attempt to cook, approach a beautiful woman, or hunt and kill things. It simply means that there are better ways to do things like this. So back to your past. Your past, like anything else, can either crush you or make you better. This is another subject for a different day, obviously, but this is a widely known fact that has been studied in a field called positive psychology. The name makes me want to puke, but let's get past that for now. A lot of us have heard about post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, which is common among groups such as abused children and military veterans. They develop a crippling anxiety and fear that stays them for an incredibly long amount of time, perhaps forever. This is not good. A person who wants to function in society cannot hope to thrive in that type of mental hell. But there's also its opposite, post-traumatic growth. Pioneered and studied by brilliant individuals such as Jonathan Haidt and Nicholas Nassim Taleb, PTG is a phenomenon where people grow, who have been exposed from their intensely traumatic situations grow from their pain and develop higher mental resilience in the future. They don't succumb to the level of trauma that was inflicted on them and join it in the mire. They get better. There is no greater modern example of getting better through reflection than the year 2020. It serves as perhaps the greatest indication, certainly within my generation, of how we can all get better. PTSD from 2020 would stay with us for much longer and with much greater pessimistic consequences. PTG from 2020 would help us rub the dirt off our shoulder, shout out Jay-Z, and move forward to develop solutions to these problems. So, going back to what I said earlier, I'm going to be taking the three biggest and quote-unquote worst events of the last year and analyzing them. The purpose will be to pave the way for a better 2021 for all of us. This will be a momentous task, but I hope that you all join me in embarking on it. This will need to be a team effort. We need each other. As much as our childish and petulant actions toward one another recently have given us every indication that we don't, we do. We can either let 2021 suck, or we can let it get better. The choice, as always, is ours. So, in the words of the great and powerful Andrew Schultz, let's kick, kiss this life-leeching, dream-destroying, shit-sniffing truffle pig the fuck goodbye. So the first thing that really sucked in 2020, obviously, was COVID-19. So it's safe to say that in the last couple years, we've had always had someone to blame. No, really, like for everything. Whether that's the, one of the aforementioned old guys that ran for president, a professor grading our tests in a curve, a person in our apartment building floor that's fucking too loud and interrupting our sleep, all that jazz. With the rise of the deafening noise of social media and other attention grabs, there have been more outs for personal responsibility than ever before. There was always someone and someone else, a victimizer and a victim. But then came the beer virus. With Corona, we were shown something different. In the words of Shannon Sharp, the day after the NBA announced the shutdown, this virus was particularly insidious. It was asexual, aethnic, a religious, apolitical, a everything. 
it didn't give a fuck about anything to do with us, with the one minor exception being the health of the person that was exposed. And even then, it was only a matter of how sick you got. The point is, there was nothing to be blamed for the beer virus with the exception of its country of origin, whatever the fuck happened there. And even though, I, even then, I mean, we're very unclear about what happened then. I mean, that's the only thing that we could probably cite to blame on this. I truly believe every country did what they felt was best for their whole citizenry with the exception of a very few. Pandemics, as we all are very well aware, are horrible. There's nothing good about them. No decent human being and leader would ever want something like this unleashed on their populace. No fingers could be pointed. Nothing could be blamed except for the virus itself. It was just a bad thing. And that was just the initial outbreak. Little did we know what aftermath would come. Everything we could have had, and in some cases did have, was taken away. Our freedom to walk outside, to see our friends, to visit our elders, to create meaningful societal integration and interaction that holds the fabric of American life together. We were forced to sit with ourselves. The noise, in one way or another, quieted. We could do nothing at all to avoid or escape our problems and vulnerabilities. The mask was ripped off our faces. Instead, we had to embrace them. We had to look at ourselves completely naked in the psychological mirror and ask ourselves if we liked what we saw. I wrote a post on this a while back after everyone was scared shitless about society's reaction to corona fever. So again, shameless plug, don't read this blog.com if you want to check those out. I said that we would be faced with some tough decisions and thoughts about how we felt about ourselves. We could either choose to face these things when we had the extended time, whether we liked it or not, to do something about it, or we could further burrow ourselves in the quarantine avoidance tunnel. The choice, as always, was ours. For me personally, what I had to look in the mirror and realize was that I had a lot of the stuff that I was doing I should not have been doing. I believe that everyone in this world has a deep-seated fear, something that drives you and makes you incredibly insecure about a lot of areas in your life. For me, that has always been about being lonely. I've always thought that people would leave me or not want to be around me or try to give me a chance. Some of that was from life experience, but a lot of that was just blind irrationality as well. So, when we had to go under the knife and stay inside for weeks and months, I shut down. Initially, I powered through and tried to play the tough guy, make it seem like I would come out stronger and, you know, whatever, all that other shit. But it was only a facade. Another way to cover up for my lack of ability to be vulnerable about the one thing that was eating me alive from the inside. Many people who I talked to during the quarantine said similar things. They said that this thing, this thing or that thing was eating them away. They didn't know what to do. I told them that they simply needed to face what they were doing, the eating, what was doing the eating away, and be done with it. But little did I know, or more accurately realize, was that I was violating one of the four don'ts, my four rules I live my life by, don't be a hypocrite, don't read this blog.com if you want to learn more. And with not dealing with those issues, little did I know that I was also heading for a complete mental collapse. After a while of pulling off the whole tough guy facade, the mask started to slip. I realized that this wasn't going to be anything we'd ever seen before. I realized that this was going to be a hell of a lot more permanent than I had originally anticipated. It was only a matter of time before I broke. And when I broke, I did it in typical fashion for me. I broke really fucking hard. I was a mess. I didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel. I cried caller daddy ugly men crying tears. I was so blindsided by my personal rock bottom of shame that through my loneliness that I didn't know how to pick myself off the mat. So then we must ask the question, what does someone do when they feel that nothing is going to get better? No matter what the concern or vulnerability may be, the feeling is always the same. You feel trapped, like your back against, is against the wall. You feel like you need to fight, to do something so extreme in the opposite direction that you have to do with the exact opposite of what you're doing. And I wanted to go completely in the opposite direction. I wanted to give up who I was. 
I wanted to not care about the things that I once cared about, the things that were currently causing me tremendous pain and suffering. I wanted to quit and hide and go into a different state of being so far from where I currently stood that I didn't have a hope or prayer of coming out with those same wounds. But I chose not to. I've talked about emotional overcompensation and much, much more on this later, before. As we know from the studies of people like Daniel Kahneman, our emotions run everything we do. In his book, The Happiness Hypothesis, the aforementioned social psychologist Jonathan Haidt describes this phenomenon as an elephant and a rider. The elephant is the emotional part of your brain, and the rider is your thinking part of your brain. No matter how much your rider attempts to steer the elephant, there isn't even a prayer that the elephant is going to give a single fuck what you want it to do. It is going to go about its business and do what it needs to do to get to the best where it believes it should go. Emotional overcompensation is not simply th just the dominance of the elephant, but the elephant throwing the rider off its back and going completely wild. It is the root of a lot of problems in modern America, including within our own minds. Too easily, we can succumb to what is going on in our brains, throw the rider, our thinking brain, off to the wayside, and become reckless with how we think about ourselves, other people, and the world at large. In our escape from the COVID-19 pandemic, it's going to be very sad to see what I think is going to happen. We're going to emotionally overcompensate so fucking hard that we're going to go balls to the wall in a lot of areas. That's what happens when you infringe on the rights of men and women in a country for nearly a year, force them to stay inside, and fill them with angry thoughts. Human beings have a remarkable capacity to do this. Our culture is littered with examples, from the hippies in the 70s to the mob in the, our current culture. So back to our values. If nothing is working, change it, right? That's what a lot of people do, and it's a reasonable assumption. I've done, and do it, a lot. It's appropriate in some cases, but not all. In some cases, it's simply better to sit back and take it. Take it all in all of the pain and suffering you've endured and let it marinate. Let it teach you by how it humbles you. That is why suffering is necessary and why we should willingly seek it in different forms and fashions. Suffering is the universal constant of life and no example was greater than 2020. It hit everyone and it hit everyone hard, some worse than others certainly. But as said before, no one was unscathed. The reason why I didn't throw away my values for old ones is because values are the only things we have when everything else goes to shit. They're the thing that cannot be taken away when everything else, your job, your freedoms, your financial security, is. When the devil is at your door, this is what braces him away. When chaos comes, this is the order to keep it at bay. So when it comes to the coronavirus and 2020, let's not try to forget it so fast. Instead, let's think about the horror of what we've had to endure and see that we made it. Let's cherish what we've developed and not necessarily throw it away for what it was. Gratitude from strife and struggle is a great gift of life that often goes tremendously underappreciated. Perspective from darkness is sometimes the only thing that can show us the light. When we simply run towards it without anything to help guide it, it usually ends up blinding us. And when we're blind, we cannot see what we've worked so hard to build, and where other people revel in its beauty. And that's a damn shame. So, from the depths of horror that COVID-19 provided us, and what, we'll, and what it will continue to provide us, let it bring forth the gratitude of what we have, what we lost, and what we can and should cultivate when we're looking to move forward. So the second thing that really fucking sucked in 2020 was the political and social turmoil. So when I was writing this section, I didn't think anything new was going to happen. I was like, okay, we just had Christmas, we just had New Year's, Kwanzaa, holidays, uh, Hanukkah, whatever. So I thought we had all these things, we were going to be happy, we were going to be nice to each other for a little bit, and you know, I thought it was just kind of going to be one of those things where we are just going to be like, 
okay, let's, you know, let's keep moving on. Let's, you know, let's help everybody out. Let's give each other a break. But of course, that did not happen. So when I wrote this, I didn't think anything new was going to happen. I didn't think that a complete bombshell would drop in the middle of the week and leaving me speechless enough to think I had to redo an entire section of my post. So thank you to all the people that participated in what I'm about to talk about. I was at work doing calls and I found out. I'd accidentally cold called a gentleman who had been recently been laid off due to the beer virus. And when expressing my sympathies to the guy, because, you know, anyone, you know, who with any common decency would like to express their sympathies for a guy who just got laid off, he said he really didn't mind. He liked the time off that he could spend now with his family and collect a check from the government before going back to work. He said the political chaos that was unfolding on live television was a bit depressing, though. When I asked what was going on, he described it in just six words. They just stormed the Capitol building. And one of the wildest things I've ever seen in my entire life, one of our nation's most precious buildings was under siege. People wrecked Nancy Pelosi's office. They stole the lectern in the House chamber. They put our nation's capital on lockdown. The National Guard was called in. And at the time of this writing, five people have died. It was truly a terrifying and sad day. From George Floyd to Jeffrey Tubin to Joe Biden, there have been an insurmountable amount of things happening in our political and social fabric that have shaken us to our core. A lot of bad shit has happened, and a lot of it has happened in both incredible frequency and amplification. A lot of people killed, beat up, or were otherwise awful to one another. People took the time to call each other names in person and demonize their character. This is not a matter of so political and social stance. No. This was a matter of good versus evil to a lot of the characters involved in this activity. They were the righteous ones, the ones on the right side of history. The others, their opposition, were the enemy, the ones who needed to be uprooted and destroyed. I found it hilarious at how those same people, sometimes in the same instance, believe it or not, took the time to preach about things that were supposedly about bringing people together. Words like acceptance and healing and tolerance and unity. The thing is, that turned out to be complete and utter dog shit when it wasn't in their best interest to hear it. However, it gave me a business idea, actually. I don't have the fine details printed out yet, but I know the general concept. So there's a popular bumper sticker out there, actually bumper and window sticker out there, that people typically put on the back of their cars. You see it all the time. I mean, if you're going on a trip more than 30 minutes, you're going to see it at least once. So the one that says coexist on the back of it with all the different religious symbols, the one with the Star of David and the cross and all that shit, yeah, so that's very popular. It's very accepting and tolerant and all the words that have been thrown around in the last couple of months. But is it? Is it really? So in my idea, I'm going to do something completely different. I'm going to perform a social experiment to show how tolerant people actually are. For my Coexist bumper sticker, I'm going to have all the letters representing different things. The C is going to be wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt. The O is going to be wearing a MAGA hat. The E is going to be holding a no justice, no peace sign. The X is going to be holding up a thin blue line flag. The I is going to be wearing a Biden-Harris shirt. The S a Trump-Pence shirt. And the T is going to be holding a middle finger up to anyone who looks at it. Merry fucking Christmas, you filthy animals. I wonder how, people, how many people would buy that sticker. How many quote-unquote accepting and quote-unquote tolerant people there would actually be in the world. Not ones who cling to the false notion that identity determines the quality of an individual person, not the values that make up that person. That's usually a thought that most mob affiliates and people who are influenced by them don't want to entertain. I bet my sales would fall off a cliff after the memers get a hold of it. That is if Google doesn't suppress it and Amazon doesn't bury it under all the other similar bumper stickers and, you know, any case. This is hypocrisy at its finest. The crazy right-wingers claim to want free speech and expression, but they still yell at Colin Kaepernick at people protesting about police brutality. 
The crazy lefties complain to support the quote-unquote nonviolent protests they descend into, that descend into rioting and looting and bail those people out of jail, but then call the right-wingers that storm the Capitol building domestic terrorists and do their best to target them to punish them for their sins and see them sent to jail. Like Rick James once said, ignorance is a hell of a drug. But you see, there's a flaw to this argument. People don't make it very often, but it's about as solid of a one as we can get. It defeats this argument. It crushes it into oblivion. And it's more simple than you otherwise might think. We all want the same fucking things. It sounded odd even typing it or saying it out. In these last years, and particularly in 2020, all we heard was that we were at odds. That we were all different, and sometimes irreparably so. That we couldn't come together for anything no matter what causes it came to. A lot of that didn't happen, mostly because a lot of people who buy into a lot of misleading information didn't let it happen. But it didn't mean that it wasn't true. COVID-19, the greatest equalizer of our time, proved it. In a year where all hell has broken loose, we have showed remarkable similarities to one another. Think about it. The same patterns have been repeated endlessly throughout the last year. We all want to be healthy. Coronavirus. We all want to see our families and people that we care about. Social distancing. We all want to live our lives. Lockdowns. That's bipartisan. That's accepting. That's tolerant. We should all be that way towards all Americans. Because truly, acceptance is not giving parlay to what we care about. Rather, it is, giving, it is giving to others who we vehemently disagree with the courtesy and the right to disagree. This does not mean we should be okay with domestic terror and violence, like the assault in the Capitol building and some of the racial justice riots. But this does mean that we need to allow each other to talk and allow ourselves to listen. We haven't done that in a long time. I, like probably a lot of you, had hoped that something would spark some sort of true unity within our borders, unlike the falsehood that's the falsehoods that so many people in our ruling class and mob peddle. I first thought it would be the beer virus. That has not yet materialized. Then I thought it would be George Floyd. That, oddly enough, made things appear worse. I'm hoping that an attack on one of our nation's most precious architectural structures will finally be the straw to break the camel's back. But I can hope all I want. Do I think it's going to happen? Fuck no. Think about it. A couple of months ago, people were defacing and tearing down statues of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, two of America's most beloved historical figures in the name and spirit of erasing the inherent horribleness of America's history. That didn't change anything. It only made it worse. This is not a political statement, by the way. It was just another powder keg waiting to burst. It was only a matter of time before the other side of the mob got itself involved. We didn't know how or with what purpose, but we should have expected a retaliation eventually. From this aspect, the childishly stubborn behavior of the people in our nation to not civilly disagree and either take it out on a local bakery window or a senator's MacBook, we look like a third world country. It's pathetic. It's sad. It's something that we should be seeing out of a blurry Arab Spring video or what's currently going on in Myanmar, not America. The CEOs and the people in finance and the people running the rest of the show going on in America can succumb to their bullshit slacktivism and post woke tweets and LinkedIn posts and call for fake acceptance and unity on social media all they want. We've all given up on listening to them by this point anyway. At least we should have. Because a lot of them truly don't get it. They don't get why people chucked a brick through the local bakery window or broke a senator's MacBook into pieces. They don't want to look themselves in the face and confront the ugly truth. And the ugly truth is that people are really fucking pissed off. People are pissed off because of all the reasons listed above. The things that the vast majority of all non-ruling class Americans care about, financial security, the ability to access their basic freedoms, to be left the fuck alone, were threatened this year. And no one cared. 
They did their usual stick. They committed insider trading while serving on government finance committees. And they went to hair salons that said that they themselves mandated clothes while eating $13 gelato out of a refrigerator that cost more than a working class family's rent for a year. They're blinded by their decadence, which has therefore led the whole country slipping down that slope as well. If we've come out of 2020 in correct and proper fashion, we should be aware of this. We should be aware of what is right and what is wrong. We should know that true acceptance and tolerance is not reinforcing one's own beliefs, but rather letting people retain their individual sovereignty over body, mind, and soul in the way they deem right and just in order to preserve our republic. If we've learned that, then we have truly learned something. But sadly, I don't think we have. I think the best hope we have is that we wait until President-elect Biden becomes President Biden and hope the storm calms down. But given the whole Capitol building snafu, I don't think that much is going to happen now. Maybe we can finally get it right. It's doubtful, at least in my estimation, that we will. But hey, it's 2021. Anything can happen. New year, new us, right? So the third and final thing that really sucked in 2020 kind of got swept under the rug, and I want to bring it back to the forefront because I think that this could be potentially the most valuable lesson that we all take away from what happened this year. So not many people take a helicopter to a teenage girl's basketball game. But not many people are Kobe Bryant either. I'm not overly superstitious, but if there was an omen to show just how shitty 2020 was going to be, the death of Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, and all those other families on board that helicopter on that fateful day in late January 2020 would have been. Of the list of people that could potentially die, Kobe and Gianna Bryant should have been very low on that list. I don't know what higher power you believe in, or if you believe in higher power at all. I think that most people can tell good people from bad people. Kobe Bryant was far from a bad person. I'm sure his daughter and the other folks aboard that helicopter were the same way. They should have been spared from that tragedy. They shouldn't have suffered that fate. But they weren't, and they did. They died in absolutely brutal, horrific, and public fashion, with nothing to sugarcoat the rest of the world from their demise and suffering. Kobe left behind three more daughters and a beautiful wife. His parents are still alive. He coached his daughter's basketball team. Gianna was very athletic, very beautiful, and very well-liked. She was a promising young woman from all aspects. The trauma that Vanessa Bryant, Kobe's wife, has faced in the last calendar year is incredibly hard to comprehend. It's almost impossible to comprehend. The ripple effects from those other families across the entire spectrum of life even more so. That helicopter crash in Calabasas rocked the world. I don't think I've ever seen one single death rock the world like the death of Kobe Bryant did. If America was united on one thing in 2020, it was that that helicopter crash on January 26th was nothing short of a cruel and vicious act of life. That event hurt America at its soul, and it's something that we all still struggle with comprehending. I went completely numb for that whole day. I wasn't cognizant of Kobe's early playing days when he and, Sha he and Shaq teamed up in the early 2000s to bring us the last and potentially most dominant NBA three-peat in the history of professional basketball. I was more cognizant of the later Kobe Bryant, the one who, while still being a phenomenal basketball player, had developed into becoming more than just an athlete, to quote LeBron James. The one who would become, become a businessman, a more devoted father, an Oscar, or, uh, an Oscar winner, and an inspirer of young people across the world. The death of Kobe Bryant is perhaps the most devastating notable death I've experienced in my entire life. The only one I could think of to compare it to in popular culture would be Michael Jackson, maybe some president, whatever. But I hardly knew who Michael Jackson was. 
I only knew he was some guy who my mom played in the car on the way to my football practices. I grew up with Kobe Bryant, as had our entire culture and generation. He was so American. He felt like one of us. When he died, there's a reason why all of America wept. He was ours. We were all like a proud brother, parent, or sister. We all wanted him to win in every aspect of his life. It's hard to derive anything from such a horrible and unfair event. It's hard to even comprehend the event itself, let alone trying to milk something from it that's useful. Events like this usually never are. But, after the dust had settled and we had time to meditate on it more, I was able to come up with one thing. One thing that I had known for a long time, but hadn't gotten a fully understanding of it until I actually saw it unfold in front of my eyes. No one is untouchable. You're not. I'm not. Kobe Bryant wasn't. Gianna Bryant wasn't. That helicopter pilot and those families on board weren't. Kobe Bryant had just started living his life as a girl dad. Gianna Bryant was simply headed to a basketball game. The families on board were doing the same thing. The pilot was just doing his job to the best of his ability. It wasn't soon after that helicopter crash took off that all of the it wasn't soon after the helicopter took off that all of that was taken away from them. That one event ripped entire families to shreds. It tore the world apart. It was a slap in the face to the hilarious sentiment we all carry, especially as young people, that nothing that we do now matters. There'll always be another job, right? Dating this guy doesn't really matter, right? It's okay if I don't apply myself and study for this test, right? Wrong. On all of it. Your life and what you do in it day in and day out matters. Kobe Bryant remains and will forever remain one of the most titanic figures in American culture. He could do no wrong, except if you're a Celtics fan, and that's even a maybe. He taught us several lessons about hard work, about doing more, about making sure that you squeeze every last drop of water of the, out of the towel that is your life in order to make it as much as you can make it. He left no stone, stone unturned. He gave us all the keys to the Mamba mentality. But perhaps the, the greatest lesson that he could teach us is that even the most titanic among us could fall. There is no one that is too big, or too important, or too powerful, that can avoid something happening to them. Bad things are like mosquito bites or STIs. They just happen. You cannot hope to control them. You can't prepare for them. Sometimes they just happen, and there isn't a damn thing we can do about it. If I had to pinpoint a universal fear among human beings, it would be the fear of the unknown. That last statement I made terrifies a lot of people. I'm shared shitless of the unknown. I'm a highly conscientious person. I don't do well with spontaneity. It's very foreign to me, and I get incredibly uncomfortable every time someone brings it into my world. A lot of people that I know and closely associate myself with are the same way. They don't even want to entertain the unknown. I, try, I at least try to do my best and I talk about it and write about it on my blog and my podcast every week. Some don't even want to hear it. If you want to point out another genesis of the current problems in American culture, it would be that previous sentence. We don't want to know what we don't know. But little do I and some people know, the unknown can also be liberating. There's a reason why order and chaos are a duo. They need each other to survive, like good and evil. Order is the known, chaos is the unknown. When order doesn't have chaos, life becomes rigid and stale. When chaos does not become, doesn't have order, life becomes disordered and manic. Both states of being, when unbalanced, are incredibly dangerous. So, if both are dangerous, there is no way we should choke ourselves off from either. 
There is no reason to do anything that you should not find meaningful. None. There is no reason to live the life that you do not believe that you need to live in order to create an optimal existence for yourself. None. There is no reason to not try to get anything you feel that will grant you in that life and to let go of things that are hindering you from getting it. None. This is not succumbing to diminishing returns of value or going balls to the wall on everything or making yourself miserable with going after everything with no desire or end goal. It is simply a reminder for all of us to show up and aim up at what we want our lives to be. If you don't, you could end up wasting away with nothing to show for it. There is nothing more valuable than human life. It would be unwise to waste yours. So in the end, 2020 was shit. We all realized it was shit. But shit can sometimes grow other shit. I grew up in close to a lot of farms. I know that to be true. I hope the lessons we can achieve in the form of gratitude, tolerance, and finality can grow some balls in America where we could potentially sp spread these truths without killing each other in the process. We can't take many more Molotov cocktails and stolen lecterns. This is the last post and podcast that I'm going to dedicate to 2020, but it's going to remain a factor in what I do and what all of us do for a very long time, potentially ever. A lot of bad things came to the surface and was introduced that we could have never expected at this point of progress in our culture. We would all be best to leave it and its horrific contents in the rearview mirror. We should focus on how we should do things better from an individual level. Remember, a non-tyrannical society begins the non-tyrannical self. We can either let the destruction of the previous year follow us into the next, as it unfortunately already has, or we can try to take a step forward into the new history we should all be trying to create. The choice, as always, is ours. I wish you all luck in 2021. I hope whatever I'm doing in this space can help a little bit. But the onus is on us all. If we all commit to owning the day and opening our minds, maybe we can take a collective step forward. But don't open your minds and own them too much of the day where you can think you can be above people. Then, Andrew Schultz will probably find you, swoop down on you like a fucking vulture, and gut you on a comedy special. And I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. So that's my first podcast, guys. And um, again, like I said, wish you luck in 2021. I'll see you next week. Open your mind and own the day. See you guys later. Bye-bye. That was the Dog Pound here right on W Balls 187.4 on your FM dial. You're tuned into the biggest balls of them all, DJ Saw T-Nuts. Hey, don't forget about my homeboy Easy Dick in the Jack Off Hour. That's happening at 12 o'clock tonight. Right now, we got some new Snoop Doggy Dog for that ass. This one is called The Shiznit. You're about to go downtown, bitch, right here on the station that plays only platinum hits. That's 187.4 on your FM dial. If you're licking, that's W Balls. Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Like a rabbit When I take the Nina Ross You know I got to have it I lay back in the cut Retain myself Think about the shit And I think it well 
how can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight slip? Said trip, gotta get Ebola's grip as I dip around the corner. Now I'm on another mission, wishing upon a star. Snoop Doggy Dog with the caviar. In the back of the limo, no demo, this is the real. Breaking niggas down like he had the holy field. Cheer to the next episode. I make money and I really don't love hoes. Tell you the truth, I swoop in the coop. I used to sell loot, I used to shoot hoop, but now I make hits every single day. With that nigga, the Diggy Dr. Drake So lay back in the cut, motherfucker, before you get shot It's 187 on the motherfucking cop Boy, it's getting hot, yes indeed it is Snoop Dogg is on the mic, I'm about as crazy as biz Marquis, Spark B, Chronic Bud real quick And let me get into some fly gangster shit, yeah I lay back, stay back in the cut Niggas try to play the D.O.G. like a mutt I got a little message, don't try to see Snoop I'm finna fuck a bitch, what's her name, it's Luke You try to see me on the TV, use a BG, D.O. double G Yes, I'm a OG, you can't see my homie Dr. Dre So what the fuck a nigga like you gotta say? Gotta take a trip to the MIA And serve your ass with the motherfucking AK You can't see the Deagle Double G Cause that'd be me I'm serving, I'm swerving in the coupe The Lexus, flexes from Long Beach to Texas Sexes, hoes, they wanna get what this Cause Snoop Dogg is the shit, biatch Somewhat brain boggled, so I'll look to the microphone and slowly start to wobble. Grab it, have it, stick it to the plug. Get Snoop, Doggy, I got a fat dub. Sack of the chronic in my back pocket, low. Need myself a lighter so I can't take a smoke. I talk every day, I loke every day with the POU and D and my nigga Dr. Drake. Lay back in the cut like I told your ass. Give me the microphone and let me hit you with a blast. I got a little cousin by the name of Daz. And bitches who fuck him, give me the ass. Cause they know about the shit that we be going through. And they know about the shit that I be putting up. And they be know about the shit I do when I'm on a mic. Cause Snoop Dogg is Trump tight like a virgin. The surgeon is Dr. Drizze. So Lizze and Clizze with Digo Double Jizzy. The fly human being seeing. No, I'm not European being all I can. When I put the motherfucking mic in my hand and. You don't understand what I'm kicking Cause Snoop is on the mic and I get so wicked Follow me, listen to me Cause I do you like you wanna be done Snoop Doggy Dog on the street 2-1 Um, dumb, dee dee dumb Here I come with the gat and the guitar was strum Um, not that lunatic nigga who you thought I was When I caught you slipping, I'ma catch you Then I pull your cap, snap back, relax You better not be slipping with them D's on that 83 Cadillac So we gon' smoke an ounce to this G's up, hoes down, while your motherfuckers bounce to this Yeah.